Are you enthusiastic about playing and promoting the Star Trek CCG? Then join the Continuing Committee's Ambassador Program. Let me talk to them. I'm sure I'm more articulate than that. Send an email to flrazor at me.com or send a PM to flrazor on the message boards. The wife's on a Troy, a daughter of the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks, heir of the holy rings of Medazad. We're always looking for new people to join the group. We're especially looking for new ambassadors in the South Central United States. Full ambassadorial status. Looks like it's back in that dress uniform. So send a message off to us today. Live long and prosper. Authorization required. Captain's log. The impossible has happened. Along this journey, we'll find a way back. Enter authorization code. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. Our mission is to go forward. And it's just begun. There's still much to do. Still so much to learn. Security authorization accepted. Verified. Transfer complete. You're listening to An Hour with the Continuing Committee with your host, Charlie Plain. So, could you tell everybody your name and your forum handle, please? Uh, my name is John Carter, and my forum handle is PFTI. Don't ask me what that stands for, because I don't remember. <laughs> well, that was going to be my first question. Yeah, I created but... it in middle school, um, back when we first got internet at my house. And I have long since forgotten what it meant. It's just go to <laughs> online handle. Yep, that's that's uh, that's how my first one. My first one was band dork one because I was in the band in high school. <laughs> I used that until I realized that's not good for being hired by people. So yeah, I, it. I was lucky Google was out by the time I really needed jobs, so I had a professional email address. <laughs> yep, that's why I grabbed. Cplane at gmail.com as soon as I could. So. Yep. So, John, you have recently uh, ascended, so to speak, to the position of first edition rules master. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I don't know much about you. I'm sad to say I would like to get to know you, so tell us a little bit about you and your history with first edition. Okay, um, I grew up in the Denver area, and that's really where I got to know Star Trek. Okay, I grew up in the suburbs of Denver, and I had a friend who just bought a bunch of Star Trek cards. Of all my friends, he was the most into Star Trek. And we actually started by playing something that looks a lot more like what Tui is. Like, we made just a pile of dilemmas on the table, and then you just draw them at random, and if they didn't apply, you didn't use them. And Nice, so you were, you were kind of the innovator there. yeah. <laughs> Um, first cards I bought were, uh, was a first anthology. Um, actually Evan Lawrence worked at the game store I bought my cards from. Um, wow. Yeah. Cool. Back before he got all decipher famous. Um, That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I played in, started playing in tournaments all up and down the front range. Um, I've said this, uh, I think, on Corbin's podcast, but the first game I ever won at a tournament was 10 to 0. Nice. Or either that or 0 to negative 10. Um, there are a lot of Shellyaks and things like that happening in that game. <laughs> uh, 
I, I remember a game a lot when I first started playing that was decided. It was one to zero, and <laughs> it was uh, it was Wesley got the point was oh, the only sco- was the only point scored in the whole game. That's perfect. That yep, is- it was. It was nuts. <laughs> and those are the shenanigans that are, are why I loved 2E, or 1E, rather, um, so much. I played in Colorado really through 2001, went to college then, played a little in Chicago, but there wasn't the same vibrant playgroup in Chicago at the time. Gotcha. And uh, when 2E came out, I just quit. I was super frustrated that I had spent so much time and effort getting 1E cards that I was just not ready to start over. Um, that was a pretty common reaction yeah. to 1E players. Uh, all of my friends quit. Um, in fact, I just had a friend email me. I posted something about the CC on my Facebook page, and a friend I haven't talked to in like three years was like, you want my collection? I collected all the way through um, Holodeck Adventures or Motion Pictures. I was like, Sure. Nice. Next time I go to Colorado, I'm getting a huge collection. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, And then I found the CC, oh, little, a year and a half ago or so, and started playing online. Um, First tournament I played in was the last tournament, uh, Malnev was legal. (laughs) Nice. So, um, right in in that fun period. And... Uh, Yes. And I got pretty involved pretty fast, and my wife makes fun of me for it, and I enjoyed a lot. Excellent. Um, so are you still in the Denver area now, or, or have you relocated? Uh, I, you said Chicago, maybe. I live currently in Normal, Illinois, which is pretty much dead smack in the center of the state. Uh, gotcha. The closest play group is Chicago. How long of a drive is it for you up there? Two, two and a half hours. That's not terrible. No, and I can actually get to Indianapolis in about the same. The Iowa the Iowa group is like three hours away. So it's cool. Central. I hosted one tournament and got people from all three play groups to come to normal. So it was pretty cool. Nice. That's that's kind of like a nice central location for you. Yeah. That's pretty good. So so uh, as a as a very you know entrenched one e player, I pretty much skipped all of two e. Yeah. When you did find the CC and come back to the game, how did you feel about it, and, and what did you think about how things were going on? I, I mean, I was immediately excited. There were new cards. Um, just, I, I, the first thing I did is print them all out just to have them in my hands and like think about how to play with them. Mm-hmm. Also, after reading tournament reports which I never did to the degree on Decipher's website when it was available. Um, I realized just, well, I mean, I played some really good players, and some of them have just been coming back to the game now, but how behind the top strategies our meta was. Like, we never really saw Hexany in regular play and things like that. And so it was really cool to, to see a lot more of the advanced strategy and learn from a lot of that. And so I was immediately excited about what the CC was. First of all, I was just stoked that I could pull my cards out from under my bed and use them again because they had been sitting in storage for years. Um, But also, I really did like where the game was going. Um, At first, I was a little anti-OTF 
mm-hmm. because I love one e shenanigans. I love Borg ships and Shellyaks and all the terrible things that can happen. Um, but I really, having played in it, have come to understand its function. It's pretty great. It, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it on on the surface of it. That's the that's the 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 obvious reaction is like oh this cool stuff is gone, but it it's there's still lots of really cool stuff that you can do. Absolutely, <laughs> In a, it absolutely makes for better, more balanced play. Yeah, and, and it gives you it gives you better. I mean, it was even when I was on the winning side of a game that was like a hundred nothing, and and all your outposts are gone, and your ships are all blown up, and and you. Uh, you can't even do anything. That's never fun for the winner. I, I don't find it fun. Some people do. But. Yeah, no, it's not nearly as fun as... A, I mean, the best match I've had since I've come back was a, a five duplicated missions um, mess of a space line in the Delta Quadrant because it was a traditional tournament. Oh, man. And it was just transport inhibitors and temporal micro-wormholing people into play to protect you from battle and pure strategy that just some of those things could never have happened if a board ship had suddenly been on the space line. Yep. All right. So, um, it's, it's been, it was a long process to get uh, a, a rules master in place. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how that worked from your point of view? Okay. So, I mean, it started, I actually, and you may remember this contacted you and Jordan really just originally about just being involved with the rules process. I love rules. I'm that kind of nerd. I wanted to be a lawyer for a, for a long time and still have that mindset. My job is I'm a debate coach, so like arguing and debating and minutia is at the essence of who I am. So I really was excited to work about the rules. Um, and Jordan actually replied to me that I should apply for the rules master position then. He's like, all right, why not? I'll give it a go. I really like the rules, and I think they're interesting and important. And um, I mean, the process was, I mean, the best way to describe it was really professional. It felt like a job interview. I mean, it started with filling out an application that included, you know, very technical questions about my vision as well as proving my skills regarding the rules. And then you had the interview process, and it was just, I mean, I haven't done many out-of-academia job interviews, but it had very much the same structure and feel of an academic job interview. Yeah, we, we we've done that process a couple times, and it 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 throws some people for you know how many questions we ask and how much we really want to know because I mean it's an unpaid position. You'd think it would just be like take the first guy, but uh, we've always had the philosophy that you know we really want the right guy or or gal in the right job. I mean, and, impressively thorough. I mean, you asked me questions I hadn't even thought about when I was applying. You know, questions about the vision of the future, some good, like, nuanced rules questions. I really liked there was a question there about how to deal with that poster who just comes at you in a total rage. Because <laughs> that never, ever happens. <laughs> actually, shockingly, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, every, everyone who's sent me questions has been totally cool about it so far, but one day I'll get a total... And I'll be like, the interview prepared for. Yeah, it, it comes on a cycle. Every so often, 
every nine to twelve to fifteen months, some somebody will come on the forums and just start yelling about something, okay. and it spirals into a fifteen-page argument. <laughs> and you you, you got to be able to handle it, or or you know you'll you'll put out an errata, yeah, or or a ban to somebody's favorite card, and it'll just trigger them to go psychotic for five minutes. <laughs> I haven't been uh, issuing errata yet because, well, I'm more. St- there's there might be some reorganization in the works of the process, so it's slowed it down. Well, I mean, we we can get into that a little bit. Um, the 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 wrote about that. No, it's fine. Uh, um, a few years ago, uh, we switched Errata's sort of sphere of control, for lack of a better term, to from rules to design in on the two E side of things. Right. Uh, because there was a card rules that the. the Michael Keller was a great guy, and our former rules master was very much, uh, we're only changing something that's broken. Mm-hmm. And we came to a situation where we had a card that wasn't broken, but we wanted to change it. And Keller had actually been pushing for a while, well, why, don't, why don't you just do errata? And, and and we didn't change it because we sort of had, like, decipher inertia. Mm-hmm. Which is like, we did it the way decipher did it. And when that came up, Kyler was like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. You do it. So design sort of took over errata so that we could change things and nudge things where we needed to be. Now, it's not, it was not intended to be, we're going to rewrite cards because that's not, that's not really what errata does. And I don't think that's, that's right. But right. putting it under the sphere of design, at least on the two E side has made it so that we can make more nudges. We need to, you know, we can, we can make an errata because we're, we're changing this thing and, and it's not, tied up. Now, rules is still very involved, and errata can come from anywhere. You know, the rules guys can get a question that leads to an issue that they identify, and then they say, okay, you need to change these five cards. We change these five cards. And the, the main benefit that I've discovered putting errata under design is that we can run it all through the playtesters, too. So errata gets tested. Now, then, the, the, the issue that you were speaking of is, are we going to do that on the 1E side? Should we do something similar? And then they're different games, and they don't necessarily have the same approach. And we, you and I, haven't had the chance to sit down and talk about it with Jordan. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages to both strategies. I, I'm not sure that we know the answer yet. But regardless, if Errata needs to be made, we'll get it done. In right, this, and in the, in the time being. So, and I know in, in rules, while we we do have a few Errata that we think are somewhat important in the works, so. I think it's larger. I think the the errata that we're currently wondering about is the ban list, right? You know, should that be coming from the rules side or the design side? And I think, I think the the only answer that's quote unquote right is both, right? But you know that may not be the it needs a the, point the right solution certainly, yeah, or it won't get done. So um, that's a good transition. Then uh, now that you've been in the position for you know two months, month mm-hmm. and a half. How, what, what kind of things are you guys working on, and, and and what do you see? You know, if I re-interview you in a year, what what what, do, what are your goals for this first year? So I guess that's two, two questions. What are you working on, and and what are your goals for your first year in office, so to speak? Okay. Um, well, what we're working on, I mean, immediately we got a glut of questions that I think people were waiting for a new rules master to deal with. Um, We've dealt with most of those. There's a few that are we're taking our time to make sure we get right. Um, specifically, there were a bunch of questions about conundrum, and we're trying to figure out the best way to deal with that within the rules 
and or make it work a little more cleanly without some of the problems it has with quadrants and time locations and the fact that the conundrum glossary entry is a giant mess. Um, Or, sorry, the required action glossary entry is a giant mess. Uh, (laughs) So we're working on that, and we want to make sure we get that right before we put that out there. Um, But people can know that there will be some changes to the process of conundrum to make it simpler and more clear in the future. Um, The big project that I've really been pushing, and I'm sure people have noticed this on the site, I'm actually really shocked that there hasn't been a discussion thread on it yet, um, is revising the Dilemma Resolution Guide, and it's now linked to the cards pages. If you actually go to a Dilemma's page on the site... um, Chris, uh, male, whatever he goes by, um, set the, helped me set this up. And it's I think it's really cool that when you click on a dilemma, underneath kind of the list of things, there's a specific dilemma resolution guide link that'll bring up the dilemma resolution guide entry. And, oh, excellent. Yeah, and it lets uh, the rules committee edit them now, so we're not stuck into Cypher's dilemma resolution guide. Um, we've started adding sets already that weren't in the original Dilemma Resolution Guide. Um, a is that sort of... Sorry, I mean, is that sort of an extension of the the rulings tool that exists? Yeah, it's... Uh, I think... I haven't played as much with the rulings tool. I think it's the same basic um, mechanic. Uh, it was just given a different link, so instead of it says rulings that apply to this or whatever, it's just a link that says Dilemma Resolution Guide. That's pretty neat. Yeah, um, it's... I think it will make things a lot easier in the long run once we get all of the couple hundred un, you know, cards without a resolution up there. And that way, when there's a rules issue that's not that's very card specific, we can also correct it in the resolution guide rather than write a glossary post. So it's in the first place you look. That's excellent. Yeah, I was pretty excited about that. That's a pretty huge project. Yeah, yeah. hopefully that that'll get people talking. So. That's kind of the big first goal. Um, Other than that, we're doing some random rules things that a bunch of the different members of the committee and other members of the CC have thought are are important and just kind of trying to get all that cleaned up. I will say uh, look for a big glossary glossary update coming soon. Excellent. So so now that you're working on that, what what sort of, you know, and and this isn't, this is obviously just us talking. This isn't anything formal, but... What are you What are you looking to do over the next twelve months? Um, I mean, there's a couple different things that I am looking to do. Um, I would like to see more things come off the ban list, and I want to start working towards that project and figuring that out. But I want to be, and I this was I think mentioned very briefly in the like announcing my getting the position post that I want to be careful that if a card can't be fixed, I'm okay leaving it on the ban list, because that deep, dark part of me that loves the chaos of open does want to leave, you know, cards that really get to the essence of open if they're not easily fixable without it completely destroying the card, you know, available in open play. I know a lot of people don't play open, but it happens enough that I think, you know, I don't want to completely ruin their favorite open cards via Rata. Um, yeah. That's one of my big projects. Um, Other than that, 
I mean, I know there have been a couple, I think every, at least the last two 1E's rules masters have decided, have really tried projects about creating better, clear, concise starting rule books. And um, it needs to be done. I think it's almost a suicide mission because 1E is what it is. Um, well, you know, it, it is and it isn't. Right. It's 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 one of those things where I think you just have to pony like we wrote starter rules for the starters. Right. And they're about as bare bones basic <laughs> as you can like you couldn't really hand somebody that rule book and send them off to a corner and they play their buddy. Right. But in the context of a starter deck like that, either at either at a con you're gonna get a demo. Yeah. Or at, you know, a tournament you're gonna get a demo. So I I think we need to stop trying to to write. You know, I think the big hang-up that we've always had trying to write the starter book is that we're trying to put too much in it. Yeah, I I think that's definitely because I've read a couple of the previous attempts and they are valiant efforts. But I think it's I think your it, the your starter ones are absolutely the right way to go. Where it's like you're gonna need someone to help you with it, but at least you have something to remind you of what that person told you. Right. I, I think you just take what, what we started with the starters and blow it up into four pages that's a little more formal. And and then you basically, the, the last paragraph of whatever starter, you know, basic rule book we has to be is basic, you know, this is just a fraction of the interesting things that can happen in this game. For more information, check out our glossary and check out this document and go to our website because, yeah. It, it's just, you got to cater to your audience and, and that, that those new players and those returning players are never going to go through the glossary and ever come back and play the game again. Right. So we've got to have we've got to have something and that's I, simpler. I learned most of the rules that I know through tournaments, and just someone being like, "That doesn't work that way." Um, and I mean, I still periodically because there's so many pages of the glossary, there's random interactions that someone's like, "I think it works." totally differently, or I do it this way, and I'm like, that can't be right, and then I read the right glossary entries, and it is. So, yeah, we absolutely can't just assume we can make a rule book that's just ready. Yep. All right. Um, so, you know, you've, you've, I know you've, you've brought in some new people in the rules committee, and, and we're not going to name names because I think that's good, but... Um, <laughs> You know, you, you, are, you, are you ramped up to full staff and, and adjusted to what's going on and, and ready to jump forward, or is there still, you know, more feeling about to do for you? Um, I'm, I think we're getting pretty close. Um, there was actually kind of the apps for the Rules Committee came in two waves, and uh, I teach, so the, second sem- the beginning of the second semester has slowed me down a little bit, but there's, a, there's another wave of applications I really want to take my time and go through and see if there's, I mean, I think the Rules Committee is solid where it is, but if there's other great members in those applications, I for sure want to include them. And if they're listening, I want them to know I didn't forget about them. Um, and uh, so after that, I think we're in a pretty good place to really start, you know, tackling those things. And I mean, because the members we added have really hit the ground running and done some great work. Um, and so I think we are in a place where we can really get these projects up and running and start doing some, you know, good things as far as progressing the rules, not just reactively answering to some of the questions. Yeah, because, you know, the, the, the glossary is still bloated and can, can be cut down. So that's definitely something that I think 
you and your team and all of us are always going to be working on for a while. So, And there's at least one member of the committee who is on a pretty strong mission to handle that bloat, so it should be coming forward with some good stuff. Excellent. So have you, as the rules committee, as the rules master, seen anything from the future? Um, actually, I mean, we have been... We've we've hit the stage in development of the next set. Snape, I believe, is its code name, um, where we've gotten to start looking at the cards and reviewing potential rules issues, which is pretty exciting because that we're getting along pretty far in the process. Yeah, it's. I don't think Snape is. Uh, I think it's two E's turn first, and then I think Snape is going to be up to bat right after that. So, so um, what? Um, without spoiling anything. What type of things are you seeing in there? What is your initial impression of the expansion? Um, and anything that really piques your curiosity? Um, I think it's it's doing some really interesting stuff. I think it'll continue to help balance out balance out and flesh out block a lot, which is exciting because I think having a full block it really does make a full block in a way that we can play with um, all the affiliations as they exist a little more completely, and that's pretty exciting. Um, but beyond that, there are definitely mechanics that are going to find their way strongly into OTF play. I think a lot more so than the last two block sets. Um, there's new icons that are, I think, some of the most revolutionary things to happen to Trek in a while. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say that, but I won't say more. Um, there's. Well, we'll uh, have to get you on when we when we do a Snape design team or meeting to talk about that. So. Yeah, and the one thing I, I think I can say is that they are requiring some pretty handy and deep thought about some, some rules to make sure that they actually work the way they want, and I don't think we've had to do that with icons in a little while. Yeah, I think um, it was before your time, but I think the last... You know, there was a good bit of rules involvement when Continuing Mission was created. yeah. But then, you know, there was a good bit of rules involvement when we did Straight and Steady and, and sort of re redid Starfleet's headquarters. Yeah. But other than that, this I mean, this is certainly the and, and to be for full disclosure, I'm working on Snape, so I know what he's talking about. Right. And we're totally teasing you <laughs> by not telling you. But um this is certainly the most involved rules has been in a while and 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 it's not anybody's fault, but you know, Snape got slowed down a little bit because it's like, well, we need a rules master to to look at all this stuff before we we go with it. And so once you came on board and were able to start looking at it, I I really feel like Snape is gonna be big. Yeah, it's certainly gonna do some things. That's all I can I feel I can say. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tease one more thing. If uh, if the mechanic survives the rest of testing and all the rules writing, um, at least one card will come off your ban list. That's true. Um, so. And, I mean, it. there's also some... A few... The only other really interesting thing to me, and I'll say this as teasingly as I can, um, is there are some kind of mechanics that have existed for a while that have always operated the same way. And there's finally card. There's a few cards, or at least a card in the set that will finally allow players to manipulate that mechanic. And I think it could really do some interesting things in games. I I I, I agree with you. I think it's um. I think it's it's sort of inst. Inst. You know how we've got a couple of magic bullets for dilemmas. Mm-hmm. 
I think the primary use of, of that particular card is going to be as sort of a magic bullet for a, a couple of different dilemmas, but then you can also use it to do other stuff in-game. So it's it's not like putting a doctor, uh, not a bricklayer, in to either grab a guy or kill Horda. It's, I'll put this in because there's about 16 different things that I can do with it. Right, I think it's yeah. it's certainly going to be one of the most high-utility cards in the set. That You'll have to think about it in almost any deck you build, whether it's worth putting in there. Yeah, definitely. All right, now that we've tortured you <laughs> a little bit with our exclusive knowledge, um, I am going to do what I something I have done occasionally with guests in the past. All right. And I'm going to go to our website. I used to do this by opening a booster pack. Okay. And, and making you tell me what you thought about the rare, but we have a really cool random card function on the website now. So I'm going to pull up a random card, first edition. All right. And you're going to review the card for me. You're going to tell me what you think about it, any problems with it, any fun stories about using the card. And today's random card is Kivis Fajo from the Fajo collection. Oh, the personnel. The personnel Kivis Fajo. Not not Kivis Fajo Collector, which is, you know, an outstanding card, but... I will send you a link here. Yeah, I've uh, I got it pulled up already. All right. So I uh, have this really cool the plugin for Chrome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I love. It. <laughs> so Kivas Fajo, tell me about this card. Oh, I mean, immediately this makes me remember when the Fajo collection came out. Um, I had one friend who was lucky enough to get it because all of us were poor, and. <laughs> It was just, we were in awe of the power of his cards at that time. Um, strangely, or not that strangely, Faja was not one of the cards we were that excited about. Um, I think by that point, you'd already seen artifacts start to lose their luster as, you know, really useful cards, and so we didn't use them a lot. Um, certainly the Paler Top text was... Was clutch at the time because everyone threw about Paler Toffs like nobody's business. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's something that current play doesn't use as much, so it's not as useful of a skill. Um, although his ship, I think his ship makes him a near auto include in any Nor deck. Yeah, reporting for free, free ship, and then a, a download, and he gets you past. Oh, Chula Crossroads, I think it is. Whichever one requires greed and treachery. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's no the game. The game. Chula the game. Thank you. Chula yeah, game. I can't keep the get the there, straight. There, there's too many. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I mean, he I, that's the only capacity I've used him in, um, because I mean there aren't that many decks where his skills aren't particularly redundant. Yeah, they're not great. I mean. They're not super useful skills. Right. They're not so necessary that you throw him in because you're like, I have to have greed. But, you know, once you get into a deck type that requires greed or treachery, you've probably got better personnel, or acquisition even, better personnel to meet those skills. Um, and the Cunning 10 is nice, but the, the no integrity thing, as a rules guy, that's, you know, they had to write special rules for that. That's got to be almost a liability. Yeah, and I mean... I, I think it certainly is. Um, it creates fun things like Decipher having to clarify that zero is even. Um, 
Although apparently, I don't know math that well, but there are certainly apparently there are arguments for it being odd as well, and so I guess it's necessary then to say it is one or the other. Um, but yeah, no integrity. I, I thought it was an interesting choice when they did that instead of saying integrity zero. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think their idea was you couldn't modify it, but yeah, that's pretty big. So. Yeah, and it's. Oh, Firestorm, the bane of his existence. Uh, I noticed that he says murder in his lore. Yeah. He says murder in his lore, so that's probably, uh, works with, um, I'm losing the name of it. Does he double all murder stuff, or it's, uh, Cyrus, right? Yeah, Cyrus Redblock. I think he doubles everything with murder. Well, I guess that's dilemmas. Never mind, I'm just yeah, talking about that. <laughs> I was like, wait, um, yeah. Nope, doesn't do anything. His so the text that broke quite a few dilemmas. Um. Yeah, but I mean, he is sort of like the. He's not. There's so many shining stars in the Fajo collection. Yeah, I mean, that I think he sort of gets in, it, it's lost. I think the only card I can guarantee I've played with less is Picard's artificial heart. Um, I, I have never played with it, so <laughs> that's why I can guarantee you I've played with it less. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I didn't have access to the Fajo collection cards until I came back to the game, and they were suddenly very cheap. Um, All right. Any other thoughts about Kivas Fajo? Um, not in particular. I mean, I think he the. I think he almost gets there with the Fajo Fajo's gallery mechanic, but I think it's just a little too finicky to set up as a really strong engine. And so yeah. it's like, well, you have to build such a weird deck to make it work. And in the capture deck, it's, I don't know if you need the extra draws if your capture deck's doing its job. So I remember, let's see, um, Matt Kirk, mm-hmm. my, he's my roommate and he's a Tui creative director and he played, uh, it was OTF or blah. I think it was OTF. Um, he played Fajo's gallery as a drawing engine in, continuing mission deck because he was using Talera okay and a couple other cards that have the Fajo icon huh. to just draw cards so I mean that's pretty clever yeah it was it was kind of a neat neat trick so. um yeah I, I do agree with you that in most decks it's probably not not worth the seed for it. Right. Um, I've only had them in Norb-based decks, and it's like a, a ship with a free personnel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, my traditional last question is to invite you to ask any questions you might have of me. Huh. Is there anything you want to ask me? And you could take a moment to think about it, and I'll edit out the awkward silence. So. All right. <laughs> I do have something, and this is a total different nerdy habit of mine that I'm interested in is, is there any sort of record of the history of the CC and, or have there been any efforts to create one? Uh, Actually, that's really interesting. You say that I, I recorded a a podcast with um, Dan from Florida. Uh He does assimilate this and he wanted to, and we talked like two hours ago (laughs) and he was asking me about the origins of the CC. Um, I, I don't believe we have anything written that tells the story, but I think that that's something that we should do because we have so many people that have joined later and don't know what happened in the original days. So, yeah, uh, 
I mean, it's if you go back and listen to the early Section 31, like Section 31 started shortly after the CC started. Okay. So they talk about things that were happening at the time. But uh, I think it would be really interesting to, to sit down and, and recollect what we did and, and go back and interview some of the people who worked on things and then sort of build like a an oral history and, and keep it up on the website for people to link to. So I, I, I would I'm going to put that on my wish list of projects for 2013. I would gladly help my uh, outside of speech and debate. My other love is history. So that's why that was my top question. Cool. Yeah. I I think that would be a really interesting thing to have and just sort of remember where we came from and and people who joined us now or in the future will be able to go back and see the story of all the the cool stuff that happened. So, yeah, I think that'd be great. So, well, John, thanks for spending some time with us today. No problem. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm uh, glad that you're on board with us and working towards making first edition even more fun and exciting uh, 2013 and beyond. Sounds great. Mr. Sulu, prepare to move in on the Ramil investment. Ship to ship, Mugura. Put this on the screen. Hailing frequencies open, Standing by to beam your survivors aboard our ship. Prepare to abandon your vessel. No. No, that's not our way. I regret that we meet in this way. You and I are of a kind. In a different reality. I could have called you friend. What purpose will it serve to die? We are creatures of duty, Captain. I have lived my life by it. Just one more duty to perform. Hey guys, it's Charlie. The Continuing Committee is currently looking for first and second edition playtesters to join our team. If you're interested in applying, visit our website at trekcc.org slash volunteer. In order to be a playtester, you just need to be part of a group of three to five people that can get together two to three times a week and post your results. Again, trekcc.org slash volunteer to apply.